Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Joe Klimovich, the Justice Department's Chief Information Officer, or at least, Joe, Joe we can call you that for a, a couple more weeks here. So welcome back to the program. This is, in many regards, an exit interview for you. Well, thanks, Jason. I'm very glad to be back again uh, for uh, your uh, you know, discussion. And uh, it, it is. I'm down to a few days. First of all, congratulations on the decision. I know it's always a tough decision when to go, when to stay. So let's start there. Uh, what made you decide now was the right time to uh, retire after almost 40 years in government? As you're, uh, you're right, it's a very hard decision. Uh, let me just start by saying how much I've enjoyed the last six years at the Department of Justice. I, I've told many people over the years, and I uh, continue saying that this is, uh, I think, the greatest job I've ever had. And uh, one of the best, if not the best, job in the federal government. It's it's more than just a job, though. It's the people, the mission. They're exceptional. Uh, and it's been a privilege to spend my time with the uh, men and women uh, in the Department of Justice. However, you know, after six years in this job and nearly 40 years of government service, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, a new change and a uh, new opportunity. And I'm uh, I'm going to um, move on to a, a new role in uh, consulting in the private sector. And uh, thankfully, I, I don't think I'll be too far away from uh, the mission and just sitting on the other side of the table. So you decided not to just ride off into the sunset, go to Florida or, or do one of those things. You, you're actually going to continue to work. I, uh, I have no intention of slowing down. All right. Now, was was that a decision that uh, obviously you made or or was that uh, was it just you're not weren't quite ready to to play golf and, and do those other things that retired people do? I love the uh, the Washington D.C. area, family in the area. Um, I, I feel very young and energetic at heart, and I uh, want to continue uh, working as long as I can add value. Excellent, excellent. Now, you sound like you have a job already, or is it something you'll start to look for? Maybe take a few months off. No, I, I'm, I'm going to be not not taking any time off. I, I have something lined up. Uh, I'll let the uh, the, the corporation uh, make the announcement, but uh, I'm looking forward to. Um, you know, new opportunities and getting, staying at work, and um, it'll be a it'll it'll be a transition. But uh, looking forward to uh, the change of scenery. Excellent. We look forward to finding out more about that new position. Was there a reason why now was a good time? As you look back across your career, as you look across the work you've done at the Justice Department CIO's office, and more broadly across the Justice Department, was it just the right time, or or, did, or was this a job offer that you just couldn't refuse? It's always some of some of both, but uh, you know what initially attracted me to the federal service was the mission of the CIA. Uh, they recruited me uh, on on campus uh, down at Virginia Tech, and you know it's been the the various uh, federal missions that have kept me uh, here for so many years. Yeah, you know, I've been able to move around a good bit and uh, increase my responsibility at every move from CIA to DOD to to NOAA, and finally to this role here at the Justice and. You know, when I talk about to students about joining the federal service, to me, it's more than the job. It's the uh, exposure you get uh, that you just can't get anywhere else. You know, here you're you're inside the meetings when critical decisions that affect the, the nation are being made. You know, at CIA it was deployed abroad for the start of Desert Storm. DOD led the creation of two new government agencies in DOD twice. You know, I managed uh, 24 by 7 critical operations in a combat support agency after uh, September 11 attacks. And at NOAA, I was the federal manager responsible for all of the Deepwater Horizon information. Flew four penetrations of, a, you know, a 
Category 3 uh, hurricane eyewall and uh, in the P3 cockpit uh, testing new uh, scientific equipment. And at DOJ, uh, the federal policy implementation worked with, closely with the White House, and, uh, and I've also represented the United States government uh, uh, overseas. These are kind of things that are just hard to um, get some of those experiences when you're uh, working in um, different jobs in the private sector. In the federal government, you can get exposed to so much, do so much, and make a, a huge difference. And that's really why I stayed in the federal government uh, as long as I as I have. Sometimes it comes a time where you're just, okay, let's try something new. I mean, six years as a CIO is a long time. I mean, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. Give me a sense, um, when you look back over those six years, obviously you said it was the best job you ever had, but what stood out to you as some of your accomplishments? Well, I've always tried to operate under the, the mantra of uh, keeping pace with American innovation. The legacy systems, outdated technology, exposes to uh, cyber risks, inefficiencies, and ineffectiveness in supporting the mission. So when I got to the department in 2014, did a, an assessment of um, where things stood, and uh, we launched several large-scale and complex IT transformations with the intended purpose of improving services, reducing costs, and enhancing our cyber posture. And I think we've made remarkable progress in these areas. The first thing I just highlight is about 10% of the overall budget, department's budget goes to uh, IT. And that's substantial, about $3 billion a year. And in that, uh, we've been able to maintain all of our major investments within 10% of cost schedule and performance. So, I mean, that's that's a huge deal, making sure that the taxpayer and the, the government gets real value from these investments. But also, we've um, able to realize uh, 600 million in cost avoidance by modernizing. Or we've enhanced our and scaled out our, our cybersecurity services, not only to support the DOJ enterprise, but also many external customers. We have a lot of external uh, customers using our security services. We wanted to demonstrate our commitment to high-quality uh, security, mind, mindful. Uh, service delivery, so we obtained ISO 20,000 and 27,000 certification. Those are hard certifications to come by, but they um, they make a difference in your delivery of services. Uh, we launched the Tribal Access Program for uh, National uh, Crime Information, which you know we started in 2015, and now we've expanded that to over 75 tribes are um, effectively able to serve and protect their nation's citizens through a direct exchange of law enforcement information with the uh, national uh, entities. Last thing I'll just say is that we've reduced our footprint tremendously. When I got here, we had 23 different email systems. Now we've got one consolidated cloud-based email system. We had 110 data centers. We're now down to less than a dozen. So, I mean, we've closed really 100 data centers. Moved a lot of that to commercial cloud environments. When I got here, we had nothing in a commercial cloud environment. Today, we're operating in over 30 CSPs. So uh, the footprint's been uh, drastically altered, changed for the better. Uh, we Our services are much more resilient and fault tolerant now. Uh, I think we made tremendous progress, but you know, I think it's time for somebody else to you know come in and provide leadership and continue um, moving us forward. There's a lot there to unpack. We're going to get to the next person's to-do list as well. 
But before I go down those paths, let me go backwards a little bit as well and, and talk about your, your, your career. 40 years is obviously a, a long time in the government. You've had some really interesting jobs. Walk me through. You said you were able to create two new agencies at DOD. Oh, which, which two were those? Central Imagery Office was created in uh, 92, if I recall. Yeah, you're testing my memory here. And I think I was out of the uh, Desert Storm shortfalls. So it was a s- small office of about 360 people uh, at the Pentagon. And uh, I was one of the first uh, 17 employees. And uh, it's interesting because then you have to figure out, well, okay, where are we getting guard service from? Who are we paying? Where, where are people going to eat? Uh, who's going to pay the employees? All these things that you take for granted in a mature organization. And then in uh, 96, they realized that that agency was too small. They combined uh, nine different agencies together to create the National Imagery and Mapping Agency in 96 with, uh, I think it was Defense Authorization Bill at that point. And we had to figure out, for me, it was figuring out how all the IT came together, which for nine different agencies, even the desktops were anything but standard. And task is build a network that uh, would allow everybody to work together seamlessly and uh, a consolidated uh, desktop. It was it was a challenge, but it was a great learning experience as well. And before that, you said you were recruited out of Virginia Tech at the CIA uh, are you able to talk a little bit about what you did there? I started my career as a scientist for the CIA, uh, building uh, uh, spacecraft. All right, very cool. Probably maybe something uh, that we can talk to in a couple more years once once some sort of sensitivities uh, change up. And, and then finally, obviously, the NOAA work. That's where I got to know you. That's where I think we first got to interact as you worked at NOAA. I did not realize though, that you got to support Deep Water Horizon and, and, and got to fly into some hurricanes. If, if you look back, was that the most... I'll call it exciting part of your, your career, or would you say just another mark on the spectrum? Well, I was very fortunate to have a lot of opportunities to uh, impact the mission, but also to um, further the science, I mean, really the scientific mission. I think uh, in that job, I was able to increase the supercomputing by 20 times. And the, all the missions there are very dependent upon supercomputing. And so they, you know, both operationally and uh on the research side, they really appreciated having that extra capacity and uh, brought a lot of new um, technology to bear pretty much across the board. The Managing the information for Deepwater Horizon was a huge catastrophe uh, for, for the uh, Gulf region, but that was actually my first exposure to working with the Department of Justice because um, I had to figure out a way of transferring uh, just an incredible amount of information to DOJ for uh, prosecution. So um, that was uh, my first exposure to DOJ. All right, Joe, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk a little bit more about your career and then talk about some of the accomplishments you've had at, at the Justice Department. My guest is Joe Klimovich, the Chief Information Officer of the Justice Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Joe Klimovich, the outgoing Chief Information Officer at the Justice Department. Joe, you are uh, retiring after 40, almost 40 years in government. So again, congratulations on that. And this is a, our exit interview. One thing I want to tag back to from the first segment, you went through your career, you started your career as, as a scientist at CIA, you get recruited out of Virginia Tech. Was that your plan to go into government work? Or did you, was your background, did your parents, did your grandparents, did you have uh, you know, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts who were federal employees that you said, hey, 
that's that's a path for me? Or did one day they showed up at, at the uh, recruitment and you said, hey, I, maybe I could do this? How'd they pull you in, so to speak? They were having a job fair down at uh, Virginia Tech. I mean, uh, there were a lot of uh, companies, a lot of government agencies. Uh, it was in the fall which was very uh, fortuitous because the clearance process uh, took the entire the entire uh, senior year. But uh, I had never met anybody or talked to anybody that worked at the CIA, but uh, the mission, you read all about it, it sounds, sounds exciting, uh, and it really was. And um, so I just uh, hung, hung with the process. Had, had some other uh, opportunities, some other offers in the private sector, but I decided to go with the uh, – the federal government, mostly because of the mission, it wasn't the, the pay or anything. It was just, it sounded, sounded exciting. I uh, had grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. My uh, father was still working for the Army as a civilian at that point. So, uh, but that wasn't the, um, so again, it was about the mission. And I think we shouldn't undersell the mission in any, any of our big departments because it's, it's really exciting and you can make a huge uh, difference. And during your career, was there a time when you said, let me go into the private sector? Was there ever a, was there ever a time where you said, I'm going to leave federal service? I thought about it several times, but uh, again, you keep coming back to the mission. And uh, you know, pe- people stay in these jobs in the, in the government, so they get into them. They think they're only going to be there for a couple of years. Uh, that was certainly my thinking. But you stay because of the mission. You stay because of the people. And... Uh, you know, you you meet some incredibly dedicated individuals who, who honestly don't care whether they get paid or not. It's just it's about supporting the nation. And I think that's the one thing that the government tends to undersell when it comes to recruitment is, yeah, I mean, you, you'll do fine, you'll you'll make a nice living, but you won't ever be rich. But at the same time, the impact you can have day in and day out is incredible. And until you're until you're there, you're not you don't understand it. I think, and I think that's that's the big. Right. missing piece for the recruitment that the government doesn't do. When you look back over your career, you know, the times have changed a great deal. 40 years, obviously, is, is a long time. Walk me through how much different things are today than they were 40 years ago. Uh, I, I always love this question because people bring up things as like, well, you know, we had one telephone in the entire office or we had one computer that was a you know green screen Wang computer or people used to smoke and you could open the windows. Give me a sense of how things have changed. Uh, well, yeah, I think you hit on most of the uh, items. Um, so, so I've heard, so I've heard these I, before. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I started, it was early in the Reagan administration, and uh, punch cards were still being used. We, we had uh, IBM mainframes with uh, the green screens, uh, and you could uh, email other people on the mainframe, but we did not have any office. There was no email, even within the the division. There was no way of centrally communicating with anybody uh, digitally. Yes, uh, all the rooms were smoke-filled. There was, there was, uh, everybody smoked. And if you were fortunate, maybe uh, you got invited to your boss for a drink at around five o'clock. And uh, that was, that was kind of the way that uh, the offices worked at that time. None of that would be acceptable today. The phone, uh, we had one unclassified phone for a battery, four or five people. And so you had to really share if you wanted to uh, to make any calls. A few more secure phones, obviously, but uh, that was the old rotary dial system. And uh, so it was, times have changed a lot. Can't think of too much that hasn't changed. Uh, the bigger thing, too, is just computing in general. 
we did a lot of fancy mathematics to uh, get around the limitations in terms of uh, memory and processing, fancy ways to do a lot with uh, small uh, computer systems. Today, you can be a little sloppy on that because you've got uh, incredibly uh, uh, high-speed computers and a lot of power available. Uh, same thing with storage. You only save what you had to. Today, you can save everything because storage is almost free. I'm trying to think of some of the other areas, but it's, I mean, the networking has changed a lot. High speed back then is would be considered very, very slow today. And I also think about how we, we push the envelope on technology, but then six months to a year after we had spent a lot of money pushing uh, the development of technology, it was available commercially. And, um, you know, today we look to the commercial sector first for our uh, IT. Can we just buy it? And uh, that wasn't really so much the case back then. The other big difference I can imagine is, you know, when you had meetings and you had decisions were made and everything was paper-based and you you passed around papers and were things slower, was communication different? Like, give me a sense of, of today – you know, you feel like we always talk about how everything is much more at a higher speed. We got to move faster. We got to do more. And a lot of people say productivity has has increased to a certain extent with computers and the web. And then it's also slowed us down because now we spend more time on things like Twitter. <laughs> so give, give me a sense. Can you can you compare and contrast for me? Well, I'm not spending any time on Twitter or any of the social well, media. So, um, but <laughs> with all due respect, no. Think, but you you understand my point about the. Uh, I, I I do. Um, it was I think it was very much command and control because it was paper based. So that if you had a, a staff meeting or if your bosses went to a staff meeting, they would take notes and then they would come back and type it up on. Uh, you know, we had a lot of uh, old fashioned typewriters, and then they would pass that around uh, to uh, the staff. And so it was very much of a command and control kind of thing. I think when you look at these collaboration technologies that are out there today, they've really flattened a lot of the organizations. Communications can take place real time. It can take place to you know to thousands of people simultaneously, and that certainly wasn't the case. You know, when I started my career, it was much more about staff beans and everybody passed along. You know, it trickled trickled down the the information, and and now I think uh, you can. You can do a lot more very quickly. And I do think that productivity is infinitely greater now than it was back then, the computing speed alone. I'd much better be in this environment. Yeah. (laughs) And that actually brings up an interesting point. As a manager, how are you managing different today than maybe you did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Because not just the speed, but I think you make a great point about how the the collaboration technology has really flattened the, the office. Well, I think a lot of the, the basic leadership qualities are are still the same. I mean, you have to be uh, today and in the past, you have to um, be a visible communicator. So we held a few more town halls to get a bit together. You've got to have laser focus on a consistent set of priorities. Um, that was true back then. It's true now. You know, you got to be passionate about your job and, and the mission, and that was true back then. It's now team player and being likable, approachable. And I think, um, you know, one thing I always tell everybody is that uh, good managers, certainly the case in the federal, is you know, choose your battles carefully because the the you don't want to get bogged down in something that's not uh, as, you know, important. Figure out what's important, you know, stick to those things. And um, just because you 
can debate something doesn't mean you should. I think from my perspective, the you know, leadership principles that I've always uh, aspired to, and I think they were true back then, they're true now, is know yourself. You know, what, what are you good at? What are you not so good at? Fix it if you're, if you're not. Know your people, know your business. Um, the compelling vision. Um, if you can't uh, excite somebody about uh, where you want to take the organization, you know that's that's not going to be good. Um, I think enlisting every enlisting everyone and equipping everyone incredibly important. Try to figure out how to get productivity out of everybody in your team. And I think you know acting and making decisions on the facts. You know, looking at the the facts. And I, I will also say that uh, the worst thing you can do is not make a decision. And then lastly, the you know demonstrating the highest standards of conduct, integrity, and professionalism. These things really haven't changed at the you know the core in the last 40 years, and the surrounding technology has. But I think what makes a good federal manager back then would still apply today, and vice versa. Good stuff. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest is Joe Klumovich, the outgoing Chief Information Officer at the Justice Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Joe Klimovich, the outgoing Chief Information Officer at the Justice Department. Joe, this is an exit interview. It's always great to catch up. I'm sorry that this potentially is our last one since uh, you are retiring after more than 40 years in government. You went through your accomplishments at the Justice Department over the last six years. And there's a lot there, moving from 23 email systems to one, reducing data centers by almost 100. How did you get all that work done? Because it's a lot of CIOs come in and it's either a length of time or they're fine. They run up against a lot of obstacles. How did you kind of make your way through all these challenges and to accomplish what you did? First and foremost, it's a team effort. I mean, nobody does all this stuff on their own. So you got to have a great team around you, and I certainly have. And I would say that I, I leave here um, with a, a good leadership team in place. But uh, I think many of the things I was talking about, what makes a good leader, leadership principles, are things that I applied every day, figuring out what things you really want to focus on. Because here's the important thing, Jason, is that uh, as a leader, the only thing you can control is your time. You can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. You can only control your time. And, and uh, a smart guy once told me a long time ago that you, you can be consumed in these jobs by the tactical. you got a lot of stuff thrown at you from every possible angle. And if all you're doing is responding to actions and taskers and so on, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to make strategic changes. So his view was one-third of your time is, goes to tactical issues, one-third to strategic issues, and then one-third to the workforce. And what I've done at the end of a week is I'll take a, you know, three highlighters and just kind of roughly highlight, was this a tactical meeting or how did I spend my time? And it's really interesting sometimes because my calendar is usually booked from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, and it's uh, very car- colorful. Um, but uh, the inevitably, I spend, still spend more of my time on tactical and then strategic is next and workforce is last. And and that's probably, you know, even it's not, I think a, a better balance is what you really should aim for. When on the strategic, I mean, you have to stay focused on a few things. And um, I find that if I keep my focus on those few things, then the rest of the organization will pivot to focus on those things. 
if I don't show any interest anymore, uh, not surprising, the people will lose interest in those items. And you've got to make sure that you've, you know, you've got a successful path forward and it's achievable. And then just, it takes time. And um, being here for six years, it gives you time to, um, to work budgets, to work acquisitions, to collaborate, build uh, relationships and um, constituents where you can, you know, everybody's working together on the same, the same goals. I think that's a great breakdown of tactical because so many times you hear CIOs say, I have fire after fire after fire I put out. Are there times or were there times when you said, I have to shift my my efforts. I know this is important, but I'm going to put this off to the side for a few hours and work on something else. Obviously, you trusted your staff enough to say, okay, I've spent enough time on this tactical. I'm going to give this to my deputy or or to somebody else to have them kind of bring it across the finish line. I think it's more the latter, uh, that you have to trust your staff and your deputy. And uh, those tactical things, will, they'll come back. <laughs> You'll have another chance at some point. And, uh, and I think uh, I've heard other leaders talk about uh, these decisions that are irreversible. That's where you want to spend a lot of your time. Uh, things that are, that are going to fundamentally change either your business or how business is conducted. Uh, that's where you want to spend your time. Those are strategic kinds of things. The the tactical, you know, you can always make them better if you had more time. But typically, you know, as long as you respond and and make sure that nobody's uh, going too far astray, I think you'd be in good shape. Was there one or two of your priorities, whether it's again data center or cloud email or some of the other things you've done, where you thought you weren't going to get it done and, and the, the the obstacle was just too high to overcome? No, I mean I think that. Uh, uh, you stay optimistic, stay focused, and um, again, getting the right, right players together. There's always lots of challenges, uh, but uh, you work through them. I, I like the fact you got the advice from uh, one of your colleagues, not just as how much do you spend your time, but really stay focused on a few things and, you know, and the rest of the organization will pivot with you. you. You had to create the relationships, and I think for CIOs, longevity is, makes a big difference. Uh, your CFO, for instance, uh, I think it's Lee, Lee Loftus, he's been there for quite a while too. Your chief human capital officer, your chief acquisition officer, you probably meet with them regularly. Give me a sense of that relationship in the C-suite. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, Lee Loftus, the CFO, has been here since uh, 2006 in that job. The career leadership and justice has been here for a very long time and very stable, and I think that that uh, really helps. Uh, we see each other pretty much every day and different meetings. Uh, we have uh, twice a week staff meetings and, and we're all in the same uh, same building here at Maine Justice on the same floor. And that proximity, that uh, face-to-face contact, you can say what you want about the um, remote uh, uh, communications and collaboration, but nothing takes the place of uh, just wandering by, stopping by somebody's office and, um, you know, chatting. And that's huge. And, and again, it it just reinforces what I said about the Department of Justice is the greatest place to work in the government. Uh, nobody really leaves. Joe, you got a lot accomplished. You, me- you mentioned a lot of those efforts. What's next? What kind of uh, to-do list are you leaving for the next CIO at the Justice Department? Well, I think I'm leaving at a good time for critical projects because I don't think that uh, there are any projects at critical junctions in their life cycle. Uh, but I will say that you know, we were talking earlier about the technology, but the rapid evolution of technology, and it's not slowing down, if anything, it's accelerating. And 
it means that we're going to have to continually evolve our implementation strategies. So I've made you know significant strides in a number of areas, but there's so much more to do. In uh, terms of digital modernization, we've got to continue to optimize our presence in the cloud. We're in a very hybrid cloud operating model, which is great from a private, public, and being in 30-plus uh, cloud environments, that's great for efficiency. But uh, you know, we really made the decision that we weren't going to try to fully optimize uh, all of the applications and everything before we moved into a, uh, from our, our on-prem data center to commercial. And um, so that work still remains to be done. I think um, these cloud services must fully embrace uh, cloud-native technologies and containerization if we really want to be agile, best practices and key management. I mean, uh, all of our data is encrypted, but uh, when you think about it, is how's, how are the keys being managed? 5G is going to continue pushing computing to the edge, and um, you know we're just now really starting to understand um, what's possible there. Uh, I think the bottom line to me is that uh, my successor is going to operate in an you know ever increasing, uh, increasingly diverse environment. And um, you know when you think about that, you've got to secure all of the data, all those systems, services. Uh, zero trust is something we've started piloting different capabilities, but that's kind of the holy grail of cybersecurity, and it's something that uh, I think we really need to push. We live in a time when just about any kind of uh, senses can be faked. You know, the voices can be impersonated over the with with computers, and so identity is is crucial to implementing zero trust. Authentication, I would say, is the new security boundary because we're dealing with everybody's mobile, everything's cloud-based, and so you don't have a secure perimeter anymore. And I think really this identity authentication is essentially your new security boundary. We were going to have to take a serious look at how we provision these these cloud services so we can um, you know, be as agile uh, to uh, to respond. I think beyond the securing the services and being very agile with how we provision them, there's a uh, ever-increasing volume of data, and I'm being kind about that. It's just unbelievable volumes of data. And we're going to need to bring in tools like AI and machine learning, uh, RPA. We're starting to, to um, you know, pilot some initiatives in these areas right now, but that's going to be the future. And I think we're going to have to figure out some way of increasing the speed of our missions, uh, the scalability, the accuracy, and that's going to all be through uh, new technologies like uh, AI and machine learning. And um, none of this stuff's going to run on its own. It's going, you know, we're going to need to make sure that we've got the right computational capabilities. I mean, I like to think about bringing the data and the um, the technology together so that you can operate on them. But that, you know, that's you got to do that with the, the computational power. And that's there's plenty to do for my successor for the foreseeable future. Always a lot on the list. Uh, let me back up to a couple things you mentioned. One of them was uh, zero trust and um, obviously authentication. There's no more perimeter anymore. You guys at Justice have also been offering security shared services. Walk me through the progress there because that's another area where I know there's a lot of focus on over the next couple of years from an agency perspective. Early on, we were providing CCM. It's our security documentation services to other agencies and uh, many other agencies two dozen were consuming uh, those services. And then um, early on, my 
tenure here, we started expanding that to other kinds of things like uh, policy services that we can provide to other agencies. And and today we're providing uh, operational services to other uh, government agencies. On the justice.gov website, we've got a little bit of uh, advertisement you can click on there. These are the kinds of services we provide. And, And it's not just cyber services is also law enforcement services from an IT perspective. But um, there's 91 small agencies, and a lot of those small agencies don't have the critical mass or the budget to support a major cyber program. Cyber today is very expensive and very complex, and if we can just expand our services to other uh, agencies to help them better protect their assets, I think that's a, it's a win-win for uh, for everyone involved and that's exactly what we're doing we work out the the agreements in advance uh, making sure that we have rules and responsibilities clear and we'll charge them you know what it costs us to um, provide the service but i just think it's it's good uh, government to do that Um, when we've got the capability we're making the investment we have to provide and develop those services anyhow the other thing i want to bring up is the data you because you also wear the hat of the chief data officer at the Justice Department, and you guys are able to roll out a, a data strategy. I think that's the last time we spoke uh, last summer. So give me a sense of, of the progress and, the, the, again, the to-do list you're leaving for the next CDO, whether it's the CIO or somebody else. We uh, published our uh, DOJ uh, data strategy, I think, back in February, and uh, we, uh, we've had probably four or five data governance board meetings uh, since then. A lot of it building and focusing on the implementation plan that supports the um, DOJ data strategy. What we've done is we've mapped out everything that we want to get done, and it's a lot, by uh, quarter. And uh, so we review that. We've got uh, teams off working different uh, aspects of the implementation plan. But I would say right now that we're still more in trying trying to uh, solve some of the standards, the overarching requirements that that we want to see uh, consistently implemented, and uh, less about tweaking uh, databases at this point. Making good progress, we, we're you know, we've been able to do everything on or on or ahead of schedule that's uh, required by either uh, Congress or the White House. All right, good news. Two other things I want to touch upon right before I let you go, because I know we're almost out of time. The first is you also wear another hat as the vice chairman of the CIO Council. Talk about your experience there. That's that's a that's a tough job in many ways because you got to hurt a lot of cats, but at the same time you can be the voice of the on the ground CIO as OMB or or somebody else comes to you with ideas. Walk me through that experience. Well, it's been a great experience being the vice chair of the Federal CIO Council. I'm, I'm very uh, thankful that uh, Suzette. Uh, uh, asked me to uh, take on that role, and, and uh, Suzette's a, a great mentor to me, and and I've uh, been able to uh, learn a lot from her, taking advantage of her experiences in the private sector. It is uh, essentially that role that you're out there trying to help CIOs understand the the issues, the challenges, and how to be successful. Uh, you help formulate the agendas for the for the councils. You uh, get to review um, draft uh, White House policies um, early on, and uh, We've had a number of uh, you know CIOs turnover in, in the uh, time that I've been here, and so it, well, I'm more usually one of the first people they talk to, and uh, I try to tell them here's here's what you need to know to survive in these jobs. So I think uh, I, I really like that idea of, of helping uh, other uh, IT leaders succeed, and I've learned a lot of these uh, lessons and 
best practices over the years, uh, sometimes the hard way. And if I can help other people get to a better place uh, sooner or faster so they can be more productive and supporting their mission, I think it's great. And I'm thankful that to that uh, put me in that position. Do you know who's going to replace you yet uh, or, or do you be the interim CIO at Justice Department? Is your deputy? I, I can't comment on that right now. This position is a sensitive position, and uh, the uh, Deputy Attorney General has to make that call as far as who's even acting in this, this role. Okay. And then, and then finally, Joe, you've, you've spent a lot of time in government. You've, you've focused on a lot of different things. If you could you know, wave a magic wand, if there was one or two things about federal service that you, or federal IT that you could change or, or make different, what, what, what comes to mind? The biggest thing is it comes down to the workforce, the people. And, you know, I was, when I'm talking to students in different groups, uh, I always try to talk to them about the, the work environment, the difference you can make, saving lives, protecting the country, serving your fellow citizens, uh, that you're, you can make a huge difference every day coming to work. I think to the extent that we can incorporate more agility into our hiring and retaining of talent, that would be huge. But yeah, I guess if I'd pick one thing, I'd just say we need to continue pushing on um, workforce uh, reform and um, being able to bring talented individuals in um, for you know whatever years. I mean, if we can get uh, two or three years out of somebody that's really talented, uh, that's great. Um, but we need to be able to go fast. I continue uh, losing out on top talent uh, to uh, Google and Amazon and Microsoft. And a lot of it's just because of speed and not not so much pay, but we've got to be able to go much faster in our hiring. And then, uh, you know, if we've got great people on board, I'd like to pull at every stop, I, you know, we, we can to, to keep them. Um, we do today, but it's, uh, if we can enhance that area. So if we make the investment in our staff, our people, and I think it's be nice to keep them as long as possible. All right, very good. You made it 40 years almost, so uh, whatever you did right, they should uh, take the mold and and apply it to other people. So first, let me thank my guest. Joe Klimovich is the outgoing chief information officer at the Justice Department. Joe, thank you for your time today, and of course, thank you for your service to the country. Thank you. It's great being here, and um, wish you all the best, uh, Jason. We have to take a break. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. In this segment of the show, I play an excerpt from a recent ACT-IAC event where Justice CIO Joe Klimovich spoke about his role as the chief data officer. Certainly, as a CIO, I've been focusing on information management uh, over the years, and we were on this journey, like I said, long before the uh, creation of the CDO, we had a DOJ data strategy, and we started laying out, laying out the governance. But when you really think about it, and I think uh, others have talked about this, they certainly talked about the, the government data is, the value is way out of proportion to the number of bits are out there, and certainly compared to the private sector. And if we can start aggregating this data, maximizing the value of the data, making sure that people can find the information and it's, it's not just good enough to, to collect it and use it once. We've got to make sure that it can be reused. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that we're, it's not just a compliance exercise. So we have a data governance board set up in place. It's, we've, we've met. We've got a charter. Uh, we're starting to uh, look at data from an asset management perspective. 
a life cycle perspective as well. So for several years, we've been ISO 20,000 uh, certified. We're um, undergoing the final stages of ISO 27,000, which is all about security. But we've got to uh, look at how do we secure our data assets as well as we how do we secure our IT assets. So uh, to me, uh, data and information uh, have to be talked about in conjunction with information and with technology. And we have to look at this from a uh, asset perspective, from a life cycle perspective, and um, a number of our components have CDOs that are, are independent of, of the uh, CIOs, um, but in some cases they're one and the same. Uh, but bottom line is putting more focus and more emphasis on information management from a life cycle perspective, uh, and that's a journey. It's a, it's a multi-year journey. He was then asked about where justice is on its journey to making data more valuable. We're, we're fortunate that uh, the uh, Department of Justice houses uh, all the national criminal databases, uh, and we have to support 18,000 state and local law enforcement organizations, 800,000 uh, uh, law enforcement officers across the country. And that process, uh, I can't take credit for it, is, is actually very mature in terms of uh, how it's governed and, and how it works. Uh, but I certainly think that uh, from a speed and, and scalability, we're looking at uh, moving a lot of those services uh, to commercial cloud environments or scaling out to commercial cloud environments. I think that a lot of those are still somewhat siloed in terms of uh, if you know what database to query and you can get responses back. So how do we make that a more integrated process? Um, but then also on the citizen-facing side, uh, we manage over seven, uh, 70 uh, .gov uh, domains and, and uh, over 700 uh, second-tier uh, websites. And how do you make sure that all that information is easy, easily accessible, uh, that you can quickly find stuff? And I think that uh, way too often uh, government agencies put stuff out piecemeal. I mean, uh, you've got with this site for this information, this site, and it makes it very hard for the average citizen to find government data, to use government data. And you must need a, um, uh, some kind of uh, organizational chart to who does what and where and so on. So I think we've got to do a lot more work in uh, how we provide uh, the stuff that can be released to uh, citizens. Finally, he was asked about why it's good to be ahead of many agencies when it comes to developing a data strategy. It's amazing when you read the different data strategies, uh, how, much, how similar, similar they are, uh, because they all talk about the workforce and making sure that you've got uh, data scientists with the right skills. And it's not just the data scientists, it's other practitioners, in our case, attorneys and gun-carrying agents. Uh, but they also talk about uh, sharing of data and, and standards and how do you access it, how do you protect it. And obviously protecting our sensitive information is critical, uh, but we're looking at data as assets, and so developing data plans, um, pushing data standards, API management, how do we manage across different APIs. Uh, so all these things are coming together. I mean, it's just it's great to see uh, so much focus on, on how we're effectively managing information, but it's not just having information well-managed in, in the standard format. It's but how do you actually maximize the value of that? And to maximize the value means you've got to share it, you've got to work across different agencies, you've got to share it with citizens, and that takes a lot of work, and this is a multi-year effort. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard from outgoing Justice CIO Joe Klimovich. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.